Welcome back to At Source, a community conversation that gets to the origin of matters that affect us the most. I'm your host, Kieran Cook, and together we'll be diving into health and wellbeing, gaining useful insights direct from the source. Ros Ben Moshe is a positivity, resilience, and laughter as therapy academic at La Trobe University in Melbourne. She teaches positive psychology, is a researcher, and has authored two books. Hi, Roz. Welcome to the podcast. All right. Well, here we go, Roz. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Well, I was going to say, you know, you'd need a sense of humour, and here we are together, finally. And as we say in in, uh, New Zealand, the land of the long right, cloud, kia ora. And uh, I think a shalom is also appropriate. Welcome to the AdSource <laughs> community. It is uh, wonderful to have you here um, with me today, this evening, to just hear a little bit more about the laughter effect. And I did hear you on the Radio New Zealand show. It was such a great interview, and I thought you'd be such a perfect fit for our, you know, our wellness podcast here. So let's just jump straight in. And, and let's talk about, you know, why do we laugh, if that's okay, and what happens on a sort of psychological level in our bodies when we do laugh. I'd love to hear more about that just to kick off. Sure. Well, firstly, thank you so much for the invitation to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. And um, I'm just going to say a quick prayer to the technology gods. Um. <laughs> Absolutely. What a, what a, what a showdown. So, right? <laughs> so why do we laugh? It's, it's a very primal, um, innate resource that we have. So it, it enables us, you know, when we are babies, to connect to our caregivers. So we ha-ha-ha before we da-da-da or ma-ma-ma. So it really makes those times when, you know, the, the, you know the, the baby doesn't sleep or, you know, you've just got these like endless nappy changes or whatever. It's like one smile, one laugh, and you're sort of captured back, you know, in that sort of spell of love. So it's really important to connect. And, and when we actually smile and laugh, it's, it, there's a chemical reaction. So we actually release oxytocin, which is, you know, the molecule of trust or the cuddle hormone. So in animals, for example, in some animals, if the mother does not release oxytocin, um, they, don't, they just don't bond. So it's really important. Um, that's on the, on the first level. So it's a very innate resource that we have. And the, was it psychologically that you were asking what happens? Um, physiologically, sorry. Physiologically, yeah. Physically, physiologically. So a lot happens. So um, firstly, Karen, have you ever tried to laugh without breathing? No, you need that deep breathing, don't you, to get going. Exactly, exactly. I was hoping you were going to say that. So the more we laugh, the more we breathe. And we all know the benefits of, you know, aerobic exercise. So laughter can actually be reframed as a joyful breathwork practice. Um, So, you know, it replenishes our oxygen um, in, you know, brain and body. When we laugh, um, because it does have some of the attributes similar to an aerobic exercise, it actually gets that heart pumping more. Uh, so that's that's really good. And, and often initially the blood pressure will go up, but then it drops right back down. So that sort yeah. of helps calm stress. 
Laughter actually also stimulates the lymphatic system, which was, is integral to immune health. And the lymphatic system is, is actually a manual pump. So the more we laugh, the more we actually, you know, stimulating that lymphatic um, pump to, to enhance immune function. So that helps, you know, decrease, you know, getting colds or, you know, even more serious illnesses, you know. Um, so then there's, there's a lot that goes on in the, the brain in terms of neurotransmitters. So, yeah. we, you know, we release serotonin. So that's our body's natural antidepressant. So, um, you, you know, you, we all know how we feel after, you know, we've had a good laugh. It's like, you know, oh, you just like, you know, everything is, you know, just feels so much, you know, better. Um, so it, it triggers that. And also dopamine, uh, you know, the, do the release of dopamine, which is that real sense of, you know, achievement. Uh, so, you know, yes, we've had a good laugh. And, and, and more important, and, and, and another um, aspect, and I call this our sort of dose of well-being, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, is the endorphins. So endorphins are our pain management central. So when we laugh a lot, we, we actually forget our pain. You know, I often will facilitate a, a laughter yoga session, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. And I'll ask people, you know, at the beginning of the session, I'll you know, just make a note of, you know, if you've got a headache, a backache, how you're feeling. And by the end of the session, it's like, you know, how's that headache? And it's like, oh, I totally forgot about it. And that's because our system is flooded with this pain, you know, in management, um, you know, through the endorphins. And the other, it's, there's so much that goes on. And one of, I found incredibly fascinating is they've, they've popped people through MRI machines and they've actually noticed that it has a very similar effect in the brain as meditation. So you've actually got gamma waves, you know, those healing gamma waves being released in both hemispheres of the brain. So it's sort of really zen, zen with it, with, it, with zing, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, you know, and also there's that sort of physical, you know, aspect of, you know, when we've had a really good laugh, uh, you know, you can really feel, you know, the muscles in your face have had a bit of a workout, even, you know, your, your abdominal muscles. So it's like a gentle, you know, overall, um, you know, body, body and mind workout. That's right. I was going to say, I mean, you actually, people say I laughed so hard it hurt. So there's that. Yes. <laughs> all over, kind of, you kind of get the sore abs if you've had a jolly good belly laugh, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But of course, there is the whole, you can't force laughter and you might disagree with me there. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I 100% agree. I don't think you should force anything. I don't think you should fake anything. So, you know, often people sort of say, fake it until you make it. I don't really buy into that. I believe you should always choose, you know, with the right intent. So make it until you make it. So the same applies, you know, to simulated or intentional laughter. Even if, you know, you choose to laugh, even if something, you know, and, and we can go through some, you know, simulated laughter exercises. So the stimulus is not humorous. It's still generating that laughter. It's it's almost like if you could imagine, you know, is a jog on a, um, you know, a, a treadmill any different to a jog around the park? You know, physiologically, it has the same attributes. It's like, yeah, sure, there are different there are different things going on around us, but we're still getting the same benefits. The same goes for, as I say, not forcing, not faking, but choosing to intentionally engage. You know, smiling, laughter. It still triggers that dose of well being. 
That's right. Now, I mean, I, I had a look, you know, your LinkedIn profile is pretty incredible. You look really busy. busy. <laughs> I, mean, I don't quite know when you're coming up to breathe or laugh, for that matter. Um, I'm just interested, you're, you're facilitating a lot of workshops. You're working with the age, you're working in the workplace, um, you're working in, in the health and wellness um you know, arena and sector. Um, I'm just really interested in some case studies that you might be able to share with us around laughter, firstly in mental health, and then we could perhaps move on into the actual health sphere because I can see that you've been working particularly with sort of, you know, cancer, for example, and um, dialysis, and we can talk about that next. But just in that mental health sphere, um, you might have some particular stories that you could share where there's been some real results and some real life changes um, and change where laughter's made a real difference. Mm. There, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there are, there are actually, you know, quite a few examples of, you know, I, uh, you, you, you know, you, you know, you facilitate, the, you know, sessions, and you just don't know what impact you have. And often there'll just be a one-off. Um, so I, I recall I did a, a particular session for it was a women's um, retreat, and you know, um, you know, someone came along. You know, I, I afterwards sort of said, you know, they felt you know fantastic afterwards, but I didn't really get any backstory. Then about a year later, she came up to me and she said, you know you actually really saved my life. It's like, what? <laughs> um, and she just she just had um, recently had had an accident. She'd been in a car accident and she'd been um, feeling, you know, she'd lost, you know, some mobility and she was just feeling so down in the dumps. And that sort of like freedom, you know, that laughter, that release, she told me that, um, you know, sometimes I will end um, sessions with a, a laughter meditation and I'll, and I'll notice that often there's, you know, tears of joy, but sometimes I'm sort of wondering, hey, some of that sort of sobbing, you know, tears of just a release. So laughter is is a, is a really strong release. And in terms of that particular woman, uh, it really sort of changed her orientation. It was a bit like a wake-up call because she was sort of sitting in her sadness and it was sort of like she'd sort of almost sort of forgotten about, you know, how important laughter was and she would seek out ways in which she could laugh. You know, she would tune into comedy. She would, you know, spend time with people that really made her feel good, that, you know, the, the laughter was really natural. Um, uh, there are so many, you know, yeah, and, and it's like, you know, if, for example, you know, when I'm in aged care, and I haven't done any aged care um, research in a while, you know, COVID put a bit of a spanner in the works there. Um, you know, it's amazing, you know, they're busy places, right? They're filled with people, you would think that they would be filled with, you know, energy connection, you know, but they're very lonely places. So, you know, you will facilitate a session for some, you know, people in, in a residential aged care, and, you know, they've left their life behind, you know, they've often, you know, dealing with grief, you know, and, and there was a, um, a nurse that actually shared that, you know, the majority of people who go into residential aged care actually are given a low-dose antidepressant just to help with the transition, which I was just so, you know, appalled by. Um, 
And you can, you know, it's not like I even needed to to sort of like have some sort of physical measurement. It's like I would see a room of elderly people, tired, not much happening. You know, then we would do, you know, do some of the, you know, this laughter yoga exercises, which is simulated laughter exercises together with deep breathing which is really important, and clapping, you know, ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. So it gets gets that feeling of excitement, you know, and, you know, happening. And by the end of the session, honestly, you'd look into people's eyes and, and they were so much lighter, you know. All of a sudden they, you know, I didn't sort of see just sort of nameless, faceless, you know, grey, you know, septuagenarians and octogenarians. They were, oh, my gosh, this person... You know, you can clearly see they were an absolute character or, or whatever. Um, so there are so many, you know, they're just isolated examples. But then we actually, when I did the um, Laugh Out Loud pilot project with a colleague from La Trobe University, um, we actually did 30-minute laughter yoga activities in um three different aged care um, facilities. So we had a, it was a small study. It was only about 36 participants, but we did measure, you know, positive and negative effects. So that's our positive and negative emotional state, um, you know, through this scale called PANAS. And we also measured happiness um, through the, the general happiness scale. And it was quite astonishing, really astonishing. You know, the, the you know, the, the res- the, the, you know, the baseline results versus, you know, after the intervention, after, you know, those six weeks. And as I say, there was more chatter, there was more aliveness, there was better interaction between residents, there was better interaction between residents and care, you know, managers, lifestyle facilitators. And, you know, we had people communicating in ways that staff could never have anticipated. You know, even people that, you know, perhaps, you know, had some form of dementia, they, you know, they may not have even necessarily got the context of the laugh, which is fantastic. That The context, the humour doesn't, it doesn't come into it with laughter yoga. They were just laughing because laughter is a very contagious thing. If you're in a room with people laughing or smiling, you don't even have to understand what's going on, you know. You, you know, I'm sure you you might have seen that video clip, you know, on you know a carriage on a train. One person starts laughing, and then it sort of spreads. That's what happens with laughter. It's it's that you know contagion. Um, so it's very powerful. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I can relate to your experience a little bit. Just I've have not had nearly the experience that you've had, but. What with aged care and just um, your interaction, you've had so many more hours than me. But one thing we do share is background in art education and art training. So, like you, I've got a um, well, I've got a master's in fine art. So we've both done a, oh, an art study education. So I had a period of time where I went into aged care and taught art. And the one thing that actually struck me, and this was something that I did right like not that long ago like maybe five years ago when I was finished with formative teaching and it was just something that I thought I might try and it was really interesting just the one thing that struck me going into these homes was just the the low self-esteem the poor self-esteem that these residents had was just oh I couldn't do that I can't do that 
they wanted to try it but just felt like they couldn't do it. So I know what you mean about the loneliness and that isolation, but it was just going back to feeling like they couldn't do it. So most of my time wasn't really spent teaching skills or techniques. It was more around kind of rallying everybody together and, and saying, you can do it. Um, yeah. and, and so that sense of achievement or that buoyancy that you're talking about, that sense of achievement that you had maybe at the end of your workshops, I felt like my success metric was, you know, my, I, I guess my students at the end of a workshop feeling like they had achieved, you know, the project or finishing a drawing Absolutely. or trying something at the end of a workshop and the elation that came out of that was that that skill had been kind of mastered, you know? So Absolutely fabulous. A absolutely, absolutely. Mm, Marvellous. Uh, you know, we say nachas, but a lot of pleasure being able to achieve that with that demographic, yes. surprisingly, uh, having sort of taught a wide range of people over my, my, my teaching career. So it yes. was... It was it was great. So um, I'm interested. You know, it sounds like we should all be laughing more. And um, you kind of segued very nicely. My next question was going to be, you know, does laughter play a role in countering depression? And you kind of answered that when you talked about partially, shame, yeah, you know, the woman and how she realized I was almost like in that moment she had a reflective moment and kind of realized that she should, you know, the laughter kind of turned into a reflective piece for her where she realised she kind of needed to be laughing more um, and really represented a few things for her. Um, so it sounds like we should all be laughing more. But, you know, for the average lay person, what is laughing practice? Like if you sort of said, well, you yeah. know, there's not enough laughter in my life. And I think especially over the last few years, many of us have had a rough ride how would we be able to implement laughter practice in our daily lives? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question and there's nothing worse than feeling flat and being told, you know, chin up, cheer up. <laughs> it's like it's just going to have that anti-effect. And I don't and I don't buy into that. You know, there's there's the, you know, there's the there's the, you know, these laughter yoga practice there's a lot of other practices you can do so for example um you know another client that i worked with you know she'd lost both of her parents in um within the year and she realized that she just wasn't smiling or laughing with her partner anymore so you know i even just you know got her to do you know just some smiling practices or adding smiling to a meditation you know just to just to remind the you know the body um that you know when we smile um you know, it's, you know, it feels good. But one of the really fascinating things about laughter, and I find this really heartening, it was something that I I'd sort of discovered um, when I was researching for my book, The Laughter Effect, was that most laughter um, that occurs in conversations is not generated because something funny was happened. 80% of laughter happens in conversations due to what's known as the punctuation effect. A, um, a professor, um, Robert Provine, was was researching this um, many years ago. So the way this sort of would work, Karen, is it's sort of like <laughs> it's been such fun, you know, being, you know, on this podcast today and, <laughs> gosh, God, we could, you know, laugh about, you know, that technology glitch, you know, initially. <laughs> so you could see 
right? Nothing particularly funny. I mean, technology breakdowns ain't funny. Um, uh, So there was laughter at the beginning and the end, punctuating um, sentences. So what I recommend to people who want to actually get more laughter in their day and don't want it to feel forced or faked um, is connect with people that make you feel good, that just having a conversation with someone that, you know, you enjoy, you actually wouldn't even necessarily notice it. It's not necessarily going to be the huge guffaw, but there will be, you know, this sort of you know, lower sort of um, volume laughter, as I say, sprinkled or punctuated through um, sentences and through conversations. So that's something that we can all do. And I think that that was something that we really noticed during COVID was that sort of, you know, diminished, um, you know, social engagement. So social engagement is critical at any stage of life. You know, that, you know, that's been linked. Loneliness is, is equivalent to, you know, smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's, that's a statistic that, you know, came out from, you know, a huge study. So, you know, just connecting, you know, on that level. Then there are, you know, uh, you know, something that I certainly found um, really impactful. And I, I know we're probably going to be talking about this was, you know, it's not like my life personally has been a, you know, a bed of roses the whole time. Sometimes it's actually been more thorns than the actual petals. So, you know, about 10 years ago, I had a bowel cancer diagnosis. And there's nothing funny about, you know, a cancer diagnosis of any kind. Um, but, you know, during that time, um, well, firstly, physically, I, well, firstly, I didn't want to laugh. It wasn't, as I say, I, I wasn't feeling like, hey, I got can- bowel cancer, great, ha, ha, ha. Um, and secondly, uh, much to my surprise, after having um, the bowel cancer surgery, um, for about five or six weeks, I couldn't physically laugh, Okay. So it's just too painful. And anyone who, you know, has had any sort of abdominal surgery, whether that's for a good reason, a little baby pops out or the not so great reason and, you you know, you cut out a little, you know, cancerous growth. Um, So it was really for me back to the drawing board. It's like, okay, laughter is this innate resource, you know, as we discussed. It's critical to our well-being. I know it's really important to my mental health. I know it's important to my overall well-being, but... I can't laugh. So so what do I do? How do I connect to this laughter effect, this laughter feeling? And that's when my exploration really expanded. So that was sort of things like uh, journaling with the laughter effect. So we, we, you know, we're used to journaling, for example, when the shit hits the fan, ex- you know, excuse my language. Um, I think we've probably heard worse. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and that's fantastic. And I've spent a lot of years, you know, doing journaling. And I know, you know, Julia Cameron, for example, you know, recommends, you know, the three page, you know, morning practice of just, you know, that daily dump. And it's phenomenally powerful. It comes with a bit of a risk. Can I just ask you to expand a wee bit on that because I don't know a lot about that and some of our listeners might not know much about that. That Julia Cameron? Just, just, is that just okay. a big dump in a bunch or is that more about gratitude? Uh, well, this is yeah exactly what I'm coming to. So, so Julia Cameron is fabulous. She wrote The Artist's Way many years ago now and she advocates what's called a morning practice where you literally it's like a stream of consciousness you just you know start the day just sort of you know just journaling about whatever three pages that's it finish it don't look back 
And there's all different types of journaling practices, and I think we can all agree that they are all therapeutic. Journaling with the laughter effect, for example, is slightly different in that it doesn't sort of say, okay, um, ignore all of the tricky stuff. Just focus on the good stuff and be happy 24-7. Let's write about that. It's not at that at all. It's taking a challenging situation, um, for example, you know, uh, you know, a day recovering from bowel cancer is in, was in my case, and deciding that, you know, today I'm going to journal through the lens of gratitude. How does that change your story? Or another day, you might have just been having a really crap day. It doesn't matter, you know what, you might have just had a fight with your partner. Write about it through the lens of love. How does that change your story? So basically what, what journaling with the laughter effect does is, is it sort of creates that sort of crack where the light gets in. And whatever you, you know, focus on, you know, that's what, you know, grows. So if you start to journal thinking about all of those F words, the fear, the frustration, the fed up, you know, that's what you're going to see. If you, you know, choose to journal about the exact same incident or event um, or situation through the lens of, as I say, some sort of, you know, positivity, as I say, awe, love, gratitude, laughter, humour, how does that change your story? And what that actually does is it actually helps to change your the way your brain remembers that particular event, which is really powerful because then it can diminish any associated trauma. So, you know, journaling through the lens of humour, finding the funny, you know, have, you know, was there anything remotely funny that happened in this day that seemed so black, you know? It's like, oh, yes, there actually was something or make something up. You know, this is the powerful thing. You can actually future envision. It's like, okay, I've had a really shitty day. I had a you know, big argument with my boss, you know, can I imagine a time where actually, um, you know, I could be grateful for, you know, my boss about something, you know, about this particular incident. So it changes, it changes, you know, that inner script and that's really empowering. Yeah, yeah. And it does take a lot of, like, resilience to be able to have the discipline to kind of re-wrangle that stuff you know? Yes, uh, but it's interesting because I sort of found, because my first book was Laughing at Cancer, How to Heal with Love, Laughter and Mindfulness, and it was based on journals that I wrote. And if I sort of reflect back to that, it often would start with the, you know, oh God, I can't believe, you know, all of this sort of stuff. But then it's like, okay, enough, enough, enough. Okay. We've had, we've vent, we've had, you know, that's all perfectly fine. You know, we have to feel all emotions. We can't suppress. That's not good, but okay. Now it's in time, time to invite some levity into, you know, whatever it is that, you know, you'd been, you know, dumping. Um, and it's, it, you know, and then it sort of leaves that sort of journal entry on a, you know, there's a possibility. It's not necessarily saying that, you know, you everything's perfect, we're not aiming for perfection. We're aiming for progress. We're aiming for possibility. We're aiming for some sort of element of, of positivity and levity. Mm, that's right. Because that book uh, was really about being therapeutic, wasn't it, in the face of of, of your illness. Um, yes. That was sort of the, 
I guess the the point right of the book and about your first hand experience through that, and since since then you've sort of I guess had some exposure to the dialysis centre um, and being mindful, you know, in that cancer experience, and you've had other kind of uh, I guess encounters right with other illnesses and and had it's worked on. Yeah, you've done a lot in the health space too. Yes, yes. So there's one thing I'd I'd actually like to, you know, earlier we were discussing the physiological benefits of laughter. There's there's something I'd like to just mention in terms of the dialysis experience. So dialysis, just for your listeners, if if they're not aware, and I was not aware, it's a life sentence. Three times a week, up to five hours a day, for the rest of your life. It's therefore no surprise that people on dialysis have some of the lowest daily, um, you know, quality of life, you know. So the first time I walked into the dialysis ward at um, Monash Health in Melbourne, I just thought, oh, it was the first time I actually doubted whether I could do something. I'm thinking, my gosh, I... I don't know if I'm up for this. <laughs> I just don't. It's like my first reaction was, no, nah, thank you. No, nah, I'm going. Because one of the things about laughter, as I said to you, is, you know, you need to see laughter, right? And when, you know, eye contact is really important. And when you have this huge sort of blood circulation, sort of like an old-fashioned computer, and then, you know, a couple of metres away, you've got the next person seated, there's just no possible. And then you've got, you know, the nurse's station in the middle. I'm thinking, hmm. And there's a lot of disability. There's people, you know, amputees, because there's just so much, you know, you know, comorbidity. And anyway, I you know, we started and, um, you know, we had incredible staff, you know, the nursing staff really got behind it. So it wasn't just, you know, myself and other laughter yoga facilitators, uh, you know, doing this, it was everybody all on board. Uh, So there were probably only, I'm trying to remember how many, I think there were about 14-ish patients, um, as I say, you know, huge room, but probably only about 14 participating. And, you know, beforehand, you know, I'd, I'd go up and I'd just sort of have a little chat to, you know, to the patients and I'd sort of, you know, how are you feeling and, you know. Um, anyway, there was this one man who had such dark, sad eyes and such a sweet, such a sweet guy. And anyway, um, after... Must probably we we did three sessions a week, so it must have been about after the third session. I I went up to this gentleman and I, and um, sort of looking in his eyes, and I sort of thought, wow, you, your eyes are so bright. Like I turned around because I thought there must have been some sort of lighting onto his eyes. Um, but it was just the general sort of hospital lighting, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm witnessing this mirror neuron action. So we have these very special brain cells called mirror neurons. So what happens if I smile, my mirror neurons are firing and wiring. If I smile at you, Karen, then that gets your mirror neurons firing and wiring. And when we smile at each other or laugh with each other, we have this tremendous exchange, this firing and wiring. And you, and I saw it in his eyes. It was like someone had shone a torch, shine a torchlight into his on his pupils. It was extraordinary. Um, 
And, you know, it was one of those extraordinarily heartening events. And it was also a time that I realised it's not, you know, it's not just about seeing laughter. It's about hearing laughter. It's about feeling laughter. It's about transforming this whole ward with this, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy with the essence of joy, you know, this essence of, of, of levity. Um, and it, you know, and again, if we'd waited for something funny to happen, if we would have shown those patients funny videos, my guess is we would not have got nearly as much laughter. Why? Because when you do simulated laughter exercises, you can control them better. You know, for example, there's going to be a laugh here, 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 here. If you rely on humour, you and I might find Seinfeld really funny, <laughs> but other people might not. You know, humour is very subjective. So because we actually just took out the humour and, you know, people going through dialysis, it's not like they arrive every day and think, hey, the comedy show, let's have fun. Um, it was incredible how much benefit we sort of saw, you know, to people's mood, people's physiology, lung function. Um, it was quite, quite phenomenal. We'd like to take a short break to thank NatureBee, who are powering this season of AdSource. You can find out more about health and wellness from the hive by visiting www.naturebee.com. If you're enjoying this episode, please make sure to like, review and follow AdSource. Where did you learn uh, this kind of pedagogy, like the work that you're doing? Sure. So I was at a bit of a crossroads in my life. Um, so about, trying to think how many years ago, probably almost 30 years ago, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and um, that was sort of at a time where people didn't really know what that was all about. And through that time, then I was diagnosed with food allergies and food intolerances. And I, you know, went to see, you know, from, you know, appointment to appointment to appointment and, the, you know, specialist, specialist. And then I ended up sort of more in the natural health. And, you know, I remember seeing it at a naturopath and they said, you know, you're just going to have to have, you know, steamed vegetables and brown rice. And I'm thinking, oh, that doesn't sound very exciting. Um, so I decided to take a dive into food as medicine and I began researching, you know, about all of the attributes of, you know, food and I, I was hooked and I began writing recipes and articles about um, mainly focusing on gluten and dairy-free, largely vegetarian and I ended up compiling so many recipes. I ended up, you know, I wrote for Wellbeing magazine, um, you know, so a, a few other um, journals, and I ended up compiling so many recipes. I had a recipe book. So this is back in the early 2000s. Sent off my recipe book um, to publishers, and they said, mm, nah, there's just not enough market value in this, you know. It's too small a niche market, <laughs> I could have been the queen of gluten-free. I could. <laughs> anyway, um, it was not meant to be. And I ended up thinking, okay, you know what? As much as I thought that, you know, what we eat and is, you know, it's 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 really integral, but it's there's there's a bigger picture to well-being. So I sort of put into Google, it's like, you know, well-being, you know, further studies, and up came um at La Trobe University Health Promotion. I thought, oh that. That sounds good. So I made the initial inquiry and they said, 
great. But, you know, with your undergraduate, you know, Bachelor of Arts, it's not really, uh, you know, you need to get some sort of experience, some sort of equivalent. So as luck would have it, there was a World Health Promotion Conference in Melbourne and I volunteered as a rapporteur. And so I went along to, you know, as many sessions as I could and I reported on them and and I thought, wow, I found I found my way. And in between these serious sessions, of they were all an hour, there was a 30-minute laughter yoga session. And I thought, this I have to go, this I have to report on. But, of course, as soon as I stepped into the room, you know, the, the, the pad and the pen, you know, were on the floor and I was immersed in this very experiential, slightly wacky, um, you know, experience. And, and it's like it really hit me like in all of the years that I'd sort of seen people for my chronic fatigue syndrome and tried to get that sort of health bounce. I got more of a health bounce in that 30 minutes than I had in, in years. And I, I thought, okay, I didn't quite know what I'd do with it because I was a bit of a serious type. Um, I knew I had to go back to do studies and, and I did. And so I studied health promotion and then I did a Master of Public Health. And during that time, you know, as one would imagine, there was a lot of talk about mental health. And what really was being talked about was stress anxiety and depression. I'm thinking that's mental ill health. So that's when I really, you know, went, studied, um, I, well, I trained as a laughter yoga facilitator and then I um, sort of just sort of dived into the world of, of positive psychology as well and I found that they actually are fabulous, um, you know, partners because, um, you know, that sort of full field of laughter really fits beautifully into that sort of action-based positivity. Mm. Oh, that's really interesting because it's such a, I mean, it is a really niche area. I mean. Slightly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on that psychology sphere, it's kind of its own, it has its sort of own segue, right? Particularly when you've yes. got yoga and that be. Yes. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I think I've done three yoga classes in my entire life. Um but the yoga from, oh, just just to clarify, the yogic aspect of laughter yoga, it's not doing downward dog, ha, ha, ha. The yogic aspect is the is the breathing. It's that it's it's that anchoring to the breath between the laughs and being in that very present, um, you know, the present sort of moment. You know, when you're laughing, you're laughing. You're not thinking about what happened five minutes ago. You're not worrying about what could happen in five minutes' time. And that breathing is that sort of that pranayamic deep breathing. That is the yogic aspect. So it's slightly, slightly different. Yeah. Okay. So it's 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 a meditative state where you're doing that work, not necessarily yeah doing headstands or trying to do headstands. Yeah. No, but that would be funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I, I try one for beginners and still kind of stuffed my neck so um oh, yeah dear. your one sounds a lot more accessible um okay so let's on I'm interested in particular uh or particularly interested in laughter and dementia uh you made some really interesting comments in your radio New Zealand interview about how we sort of come into the world laughing and we leave laughing and you talked a lot about aged aged um, the aged, you know, leaving, laughing, and you talked a little bit, you touched on this thing with dementia, you know, and Alzheimer's, which often sort of come together a bit, um, that often uh, those with dementia and Alzheimer's, they laugh right to the end. And I was just really interested in how that, how that happens and why that happens. 
you know, if you could explain it's, that like a little bit yeah. clearly. Yeah, from a neurological it's, sort of point of view. It's 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 almost like a reflexive action. So what happens is is that, you know, as we discussed, you know, laughter is a very innate resource you know we we you know from very early age smiling and laughing you know from six weeks um and so what happens towards the end stage of life especially in someone with alzheimer's or or dementia is that you know you you lose that sort of you know cognitive ability to process humor so uh you know that's something we tend to rely on you know during our middle years you know something funny happens we laugh that that gets lost. However, what remains, um, and I've, I've I've seen this in um, you know aged care facilities that I've um, been you know working in, and um, also in my own parents, uh, that the context of the laughter may not be there, but because it's that contagious sort of innate you know happening, you, it's, it's this reflexive reflexive action. Like I would, for example particularly with my dad, I would do this like smile mirroring. So, you know, get him to physically, you know, we'd smile at each other. And then, you know, on occasion, you know, it, you know, it actually, you know, end up in laughter. Or, you know, when I'm, for example, you know, facilitating, you know, these simulated laughter exercises, uh, there's no humour, you know, you, you know, nothing funny is happening. So, so there's just that sort of, it's very innate um, and, you know, you can see it even, you know, with people with dementia, some of the the laughs we do are quite active. So, for example, I would go into facilities with a smiley ball, you know, those soft sort of smiley balls and I would, and you know, and I would facilitate a, a practice where whoever had the smiley ball had to laugh. So if I started with this ball, it would be a, <laughs> then I would throw it across the room gently um, and then the person who caught it would would, would laugh. And, you know, it was amazing. Not only could people who theoretically are just so sedentary and like, you know, almost, I don't know which world they tended to inhabit sometimes, it was just natural, you know, they literally that reflexive action of the ball. And then with a bit of nurturing, you know, they may not laugh, but they, there would be some smiling or, you know, the person next to them may smile or laugh. So... It's really powerful and, and, you know, no matter the age, you know, emotions are contagious. If you're in a room with people who are sad and crying, it's going to make you feel sad, you know. Yes. If you're yeah, in a room with people who are laughing or smiling, it's like you just absorb that energy. You don't have to think about it. It just it just is right? So that's what I really observed uh, with, as I say, with my parents and working with other people with dementia that, you know, so what if the context isn't this? They're laughing, you know, they're smiling. So, and it's, and, and, you know, the language had gone, you know, for, for a lot of people. And that's what really struck me was, is that, you know, still you could get that breakthrough and it was just, just, just gold, yeah. And and what about with, you know, respite environments for sort of end of life care and that stage of life? Do you think that there should be, you know, those environments that you're talking about where uh, smiling and if, if even if the physicality is gone or the ability to, mm-hmm. you know, physical is not there anymore, do you think that we have uh, enough of that, that warm environment 
for end-of-life care going on or what are your thoughts about that? It's not like my action, like it's not my area of expertise. I can't comment like whole whole abort. However, what I can say is that, you know, we, I, I, you know, in this aged care um, program, the Laugh Out Loud program that I I did many years ago, um, you know, there were some homes that were quite inspired by it. So rather than, for example, have a laughter yoga practice, they said, well, couldn't we um, pipe through, you know, the loudspeaker system just on occasion, like just a, a funny song or just some canned laughter and just sort of see how that worked. And and it was really interesting how just sort of putting through some sort of old songs or songs that sort of got laughter or smiling, it, it really did brighten, um, you know, people who, you know, may just not have been physically up to participating in anything more. Um, and so, yes, I think there is a lot more we can do for our for our age. I think there's just a lot more we can do across the board, uh, you know, to to connect to, uh, you know, these, these you know, these natural, you know, this sort of joy state is our natural state. It's not like we're trying to sort of like, you know, bring something in that our, our, our you know, we you know, is, is, is alien to us. And I think it's increasingly important in the world that we live in, you know, where there's so much going yeah, on globally, where there's right. so much going on in our personal lives, where there's so much going on in, you know, our work lives, you know, this work-life balance, you know, burnout is statistics are, are rising and rising. So, uh, you know, uh, there's 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 ways in which we can do it that don't sort of feel contrived, that don't feel fake, um, exact, yeah. Has the book gone well, The Laughter Effect? Like, has there been good up, uptake with the book? I have to say um, it's been a real international success. Wow. Which has surprised me. I know, wow, right? Well, firstly, they haven't happened yet, but there's been so far nine publishing deals. And I'll really? tell you some of... Yes, it is amazing and it, it really tells me that the people are crying out, for lack of a better word, for laughter. And I'll tell you some of the surprising ones. The most surprising, Saudi Arabia are publishing it in Arabic. I know, if only your listeners could have seen your face. Um, China. Yes, that's surprising, yeah. Russia, which... Again, the publishing deal is frozen, but, you know, um, we've got South Korea, we've got Brazil, we've got World Spanish, we've got America, Canada, Hungary, UK, Greece. Um, The reason I'm saying this is because we've just gone through a pandemic, you know. People really need, and and the laughter effect is not just about, you know, just one thing. It is is really, you know, a philosophy, you know, to tap into the, the, you know, the lighter side of life and, you know, to change our internal landscape. That kind of governments, a lot of sort of publishing places where, you know, I wouldn't have thought laughter would have been sort of big on the agenda too. They're quite I know. That's why I pulled Correct. I know. I, I believe you me. I pulled a, 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 a yeah. But it's like what I had to when I first got the email. It's like what. <laughs> so again, you. Know, I don't know what will be. Um, you know, but you know there is the potential for it to, you know, to really ripple out, and that's really you know, you know. I suppose you know one of the missions in my life is you know for that sort of you know the laughter effect the to ripple, ripple out, out to a, to a, to a, yeah the ripple effect yeah.
So tell me, like, give me the the five top takeouts from this book. Um, okay, so five top takeouts. Uh, so, um, you know, you don't have to rely on, you know, wait for all of the conditions in your life to be perfect to actually tap into, you know, this, this action-based resource. So, you know, every day you should, you know, there is the, there is the potential to choose to either journal with a laughter effect, tune into, you know, a podcast like this that, you know, will lift your mood, uh, you know, turn down the news, connect with people that make you feel good, uh, you know, embody gratitude in a way, you know, rather than just sort of, yeah, that you know, I, you know, I had a nice chat with Karen. It's like, you know, I had the most fabulous chat with Karen and it made me feel, you know, so this, that or the other and, you know, look forward to the next time, you know, really d- develop that. So basically we, 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 we're creating neural pathways towards levity and humor or or laughter so some people might sort of say I'm not really funny so what can I do so I would say what you seek is what you will see so start to you know people would have heard I'm sure your listeners about gratitude journaling and I'm a big you know you know advocate for that but you could also compile a you know a humor scrapbook you know every day you know Think about something funny that happened. Seek something that funny ha- happened. You know, collect a funny joke. You know, brush up on your tongue twisters and take them to work, you know. Um, you know, there's so much, there's so much that we can do. It's it's just not relying on chance. It's it's you know, choosing, choosing how we respond. It's, you know, as you mentioned earlier about, you know, in aged care, low self-esteem. It's about being self-compassionate to ourselves in and, and, and you know, being able to smile or laugh at some of our imperfections, you know, rather than beating ourselves, you know, down about it. We so much harder than we talk to others like the a hundred percent so you know and and whatever we practice we get good at you know we practice complaining we practice criticism we get damn good at it we practice you know choosing you know to respond in a different way and 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 we get good at that. And so, you know, what sort of seems like, you know, a really conscious sort of practice that you initially have to do, it's like, oh, gosh, I have to think about three things that were funny today. How am I going to do that? Becomes something natural. And, you know, you know, as we were mentioning, it's that ripple effect. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that we can all, we can all do it. It's a bit of a bummer because we have to take responsibility, but we can all do it. Like we can all participate. Can I just ask you, and you touched on it really briefly, and I was going to ping straight into that question, but I didn't. But I'm just going to take you to our modern collective sense of humour now, you know, because it's a little bit different from what you're talking about when you talk about, you know, these controlled sorts of workshops with the way that you kind of, manage humor and uh you teach humor and you bring people in and and so forth so now i'm talking about the internet and the ugly kind of meme culture that we've that's Mm. become sort of somewhat mocking and cynical and it's the sort of thing that our kids are growing up in right and it's a 
I mean, I have 16-year-olds that come around and the way they look at me under their hoodies and, you know, it's a different kind of thing now. So what what do you think about uh, this sort of modern collective sense of humour that's now on the internet and uh, the way that our kids kind of define humour compared to the way that we, and I mean you and me, have been mm. brought up understand humour because we're obviously a different generation, right? Yes. Well, I mean, it's it's not just kids. I mean, it's just the whole cancel culture. It's like there's a lot more risk involved now, isn't there? With, you know, it's like if I say, if I say something, you know, inappropriate, am I going to get the sack or am I going to get cancelled or, you know, am I going to lose all my followers? So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot more at stake. Um, but Again, humour is still very much associated with every stage of life. You know, during adolescence, you know, there's humour about sex or about, you know, pimples or whatever, you know, things, you know, bits of body physiology popping out of nowhere. Um, um, it's trend, right? There's sort of almost yeah, like... Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's interesting. I mean, listen... <laughs> There's nothing worse than being laughed at. You know, nobody nobody wants that. Um, so, you know, we always have to be mindful of, of different humour styles and, we, you know, we want to have that affiliative humour style. That's the one style that brings us together as opposed to the aggressive, you know, sense of humour or even sarcasm can, you know, be, be negative. Um, but, you know, it's about it's about modelling, you know, things, you know, to, to our kids. And it's actually interesting during... During COVID, um, there was almost like a, a, a pandemic that erupted uh, over social media. And, and what that did was, you know, there were jokes about, you know, toilet roll scarcity and, and you know, parents, you know, doing silly dances and, you know, putting them on TikTok, you know, with their kids. What that actually is really important is it demonstrates to kids that, you know, whilst all might not be well in the world, there is tremendous power in how we respond. And, you know, we can still, you know, find, you know, the light, find, um, you know, things to, to, to laugh about, you know, and develop, you know, that, you know, every family has, you know, their own humour style. Um, and, you know, and it's about learning, you know, okay, so is my, how does my humour style match with someone else? And, and really pairing those humour styles, uh, you know, so you'll often find that your best friends, they'll, they'll, you know, you'll laugh at the same things, right? Um, so, uh yeah, you know, and I think you know, just with any advice terms of you know social media, if it's not going to make you feel good, um, and if it's just going to you know get into that whole com you know comparisonitis, um, it, it's not good. It's you know just try and you know discourage it as much as you know possible. You know for buy in. I mean, I know my son's girlfriend, for example, it was during a really stressful exam period, and she was sort of hooked into you know, her exam, you know, the, the, the cohort, and it was just bringing them down. And I was just watching, you know, this downward emotional spiral. And I said, get yourself out of the group. It's not serving you well. Mm. And it was sort of like, it was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. So sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, actually saying, you're just removing yourself from situations, whether they're, you know, virtual or real, that, you know, do not serve us well, that are not feeding, you know, that sense of positivity um, and our, you know, emotions in a, in a good way. Mm. And I also think that, um, I mean, whether it's a chat room or a social media level of engagement, we've become so used to that snackable 
sort of uh, instant, you know, uh, I mean, everything, I'm just thinking about that, you know, humour and things that entertain us lightly, uh, amuse us on a superficial light level as opposed to a real connection where that beautiful quote that you've got on your website, you know, that laughter is the shortest distance between two people. To me, that quote speaks of connectivity. That's real connectivity, whereas that kind of quick scrolling action where something might quickly amuse you and you have a quick snort, <laughs> a quick, a quick giggle, <laughs> you know, that to me is a, is a different kind of, you know. Oh, absolutely. LOL, oh, 100%. And LOL and ROFL are very, very, very poor partners to real laughing out loud and rolling on the floor laughing. They just can't compete. And it's also, it doesn't happen in real time. You're no. not feeding off that energy. So, you know, it is, it's like, you know, it's better to have a few really, you know, decent connections than, you know, 2,000 followers. I think um, that's what I'm noticing with the younger generation is there's less of that belly laughing going on and there's more yes. of the yellow going on, you know. That's right. That's right. It's a safety. There's a safety. And and I've noticed that certainly, you know, I teach positive psych at La Trobe University. And yeah, I've sort of noticed over the years, the the change, you know, before um, COVID, after COVID, you know, there's social interaction has definitely become a little bit more awkward, Um, you know, just you know, in the in the interim, anyway, just 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 you know, you just notice, uh, you know, there's a lot of safety sort of hiding behind a phone, and you know, WhatsApping someone rather than picking up the phone and calling them. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. I mean, my daughter says, "What are you calling me for?" You know, and she's got a phone. Yes. I order a phone. Why, why are you calling me? You could have texted me that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. I just I just funded you. I just funded a phone for you. Oh, sorry for calling you on that phone. <laughs> um. So just lastly, before we close off, I uh, was just really interested to know what projects you're working on at the moment. What, what's in the future for you? Ah, I know the future's pretty cool. Um, wait, I, I, well, firstly, I've got firstly I've got at La Trobe University who have just been fabulous. I have got the first ever laughter, resilience, and well-being online short course for professionals. So. You know, people, people, people might want to tune in. So we're sort of really, I suppose, um, I suppose, uh, you know, aiming to get uh, people in healthcare, in uh, you know, nursing, teaching. You know, where burnout is 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 quite high, and really teaching these laughter and humour skills. And it's also with you know some positive psychology uh, in. So it's just so that's exciting. So that's over five weeks um, online. So you know, it's it's great for busy people. So that's one. That's a very exciting project. Um, I am looking at doing my PhD because I sort of have done so much research. So I want to become a doctor of laughter. I think it's the next step. Um, I've got a a podcast in the um, pipeline and some more book book, um, projects that um, I'd love to get up and running. Yes, and who knows? Who knows? PhD is pretty heavy, Judy. I mean, I... I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah. Well, this is the thing. I, 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 again, who knows what will happen? And maybe, maybe if I don't do it, then someone's going to have to say, "But you said on Karen's podcast at Source." Um, I'm looking at doing it through 
um, like a professional practice. So they actually take into consideration some of the projects and books that I've written to make it less onerous because otherwise it's not going to happen. So we'll see. A recognition of prior <laughs> learning kind of attached to that piece of work. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. Oh, well, that yeah, sounds that like a really action-packed kind of program ahead. And, um, yeah, this online course that's starting soon sounds really interesting. Um, and of course you're teaching, are you on a, are you on a sort of like point eight or what are you? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm casual. I used to be tenured. Um, and then I gave that up, um, sort of after the bowel cancer and sort of, um, yeah, uh, but now I'm sort of just back casual. So it's perfect. Honestly, yes. it's, um, yeah. And you're traveling at the moment, you're away. Traveling at the moment. Yes. And, and I do want to do some more research. There was one case study that I uh, mentioned in my book called the um, Smiles Per Hour um, program that was run in a, in a um, Melbourne municipality where basically you go, um, they had smile spies and you walk down the street, these smile spies, and they just make um, eye contact with people that are passing by and they noticed, you know, they took note of like, you know, who smiled, who was neutral. And they then did a sort of, they compiled like, you know, how many smiles per hour were in municipalities and which municipalities could do with some more. So I really want to actually expand upon that and do some, uh, you know, maybe some mapping out on on, on campus because uh, I think, you know, especially in terms of, you know, mental health students, especially in the first year of university going from school to uni, it's huge. It's a huge dropout rate as well um, and often, you know, because of mental health issues. So I'm thinking if we can get some more healthy connections built early on, um, that is, that's really important. So I really would like to do that bit of research as well. That's interesting. I do know that when I visited St. Petersburg, I was told to stop smiling, that I looked like a tourist. Apparently, <laughs> apparently Russia, no one smiles. I was told that's to. That's right. Uh, they're very miserable looking. When you get on the train, yeah, you, just, you just do not smile. You get your, you right. get your cut off or, you know, you just <laughs> lose your fingers. So um, I just remember getting seriously told off for smiling. So there are there are just countries where you just don't smile. It's not part of the culture to smile. Correct. And then it's interesting in, in Denmark, um, you know, which is, you know, you know, obviously comes up often as, you know, one of the happiest countries, there's actually a supermarket that is programmed for the doors to open only if you smile. Wow, that's really interesting. I know. It's like totally the opposite of like some of those Eastern Bloc, you know, former Eastern Bloc countries. Um, like quite and, you know, Scandinavia. Oh, very, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah, well, it's just been a delight to talk with you, Roz. Thank you very much for your time. It's been... Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I've learned heaps, heaps on this podcast. It's been expected, uh, <laughs> just delightful. So thank you very much for your time and I hope you've enjoyed it too. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've absolutely loved talking to you. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. We'll stay in touch. Yeah. Lovely. Bye. Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation and stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate, review and subscribe. Check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee. The advice shared in this podcast exists purely for information purposes and should not be relied upon to make a health and wellness decision. We recommend you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your personal health and well-being.
AtSource does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions.